I don't know about your plans for Christmas morning, but for several years now, we've been going to my wife's family's house, and, you know, we started dating when I was a junior in high school, and we got married at 19, and so since then, I've been going to the Miller's family Christmas at 8 a.m. on Christmas morning for, I think, what is it, going to be about 27 years now, and it's grown over time. My wife has three siblings, and between the four of them, there's 23 kids, and then a few of those kids have grown up and got married, and they have now have kids, and so we have grandkids and great-grandkids, and I think it's close to about 40 to 50 people that come together. What did you say? It's 50? Okay. So... Thanks, Caleb. Um, it's 50 people that get together, and there are like presents galore. It's like chaos. It's madness. And you know, when when I don't know what your Christmas. Maybe it's a little bit quieter, but you know, it's kind of this controlled chaos every Christmas morning. And for for me, I, there's I think there's only two type of people during those type of like opening present chaos Christmas mornings. Um, you're either the picker upper. Or you're the smile and take photos and having fun, right? Because I don't know about you, I'm like constantly like, I gotta pick up this trash. Like, how many dads out there, you have like the garbage sack, you're like walking around and you're picking up trash and you're kind of serious about it. And then your wife yells at you and says, Hey, you're missing this. Like, watch, they're opening the present right now. And you're like, I gotta get this trash. I mean, I don't know about you, but for some of us, we're comfortable in chaos, we're comfortable in, in, in messiness and others, not so much. Right? I would, I would classify myself as not so comfortable in chaos, especially on Christmas morning. And, you know, if we were just talking about Christmas morning and opening presents and putting away wrapping paper, that's one thing. But, you know, for, for many of us, the last couple years, even this year, a lot of us, I know some of your stories, a lot of us have experienced mess in our own lives, uh, whether it's been in our family or relationship, or we know someone who's been sick, or just the chaos of life. And, you know, when I've been thinking about Christmas morning, when I've been thinking about what to share tonight, you know, there's so many different ways and angles that you can talk about the birth of Jesus. And yet, when I think by the end of tonight, you're going to see, and hopefully you agree with me, that one of the big messages, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, is this. It's the mess. That the mess is the message. And if I were going to have a title for this sermon, it would simply be that God is at home in the mess. Because I don't know about you, sometimes the mess and the chaos of things, of even of life, can be just overwhelming. And for some of us, whether it's parenting, marriage, or some of us, it's even church. We've been a part of a church, and it's just been chaotic and messy. We've been hurt. And it's just, what do we do with the mess? How do we experience the mess? Are we comfortable, or do we just get overwhelmed so quickly? Because for, for, for me, um, one of the comforts of Christmas is this, that Jesus was born in the mess, that he entered into the mess. And for us this evening, that's the big idea, that the mess is the message. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of of the Gospel of Matthew. And if you didn't bring your Bible with you, maybe you have your app on your phone or it'll be on the screen behind me. But hey, we do something at church. We stand. And so if you're willing and you're able, we stand for the reading of God's word and we're going to read the Christmas story. So if you're able and willing, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read all the way through verse 23 together this morning. And this is the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Would you just say a prayer with me this evening? Father, we thank you for the word of God made flesh. Jesus Christ, born to us a Savior. And I just pray that you would give us all a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better. Would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see Jesus in the midst of the chaos of Christmas. All our plans, all our amazing things that we have planned for this evening or tomorrow. And for some of us who are lonely this Christmas or are dealing with pain or suffering. Lord, would you just meet us all tonight so that we can walk away from this place with good news of great joy. That's for all the people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so, you know, we didn't read it because I, I sure you don't want to come to a Christmas Eve service and hear the genealogy. Have you ever been to one of those Christmas Eve services and they read through the genealogy? But when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, how he opens up his Gospel or good news is the first 18 verses is a bunch of names. And it's kind of the lineage of Jesus and where he came from. He, that he that He's trying to show that basically he came from Abraham through David all the way to Joseph and Mary. But when you look at those names in the genealogy, you see the first point of this evening is that God is at home with misfits. Because let's just be honest, if you look through those names, there's a bunch of just characters, to, to put it mildly. And when you look at these names all through those first 18 verses in the book of Matthew, there's this interesting detail that you may not have known, that there's actually five women listed in the genealogy, and you're like, why is that a strange idea? Well, in that society and in that culture, it would most genealogies would be passed down and labeled and detailed through the fathers. And yet Matthew, and I think this is on purpose, Matthew actually points out five women. And these five women, they, they kind of were, here's the PG version because there's lots of kids in here tonight, they were kind of uh, women of questionable character. They were Gentiles or non-Jews. They were refugees. And like I said, three of them were women of questionable character. And one even highlighted the murder and adultery of David. And they were horrible king's mission. And why is this important because I think, as I said, Matthew is trying to make a point that, that the birth of Christ didn't come through some nice, tidy pedigree. It came through humanity, and it came through the mess. It came through the mess of humanity, because when you look at that genealogy of Jesus, it's just one big bunch of misfits. And for me, this is why I believe that the Word of God is divine, and it does tell the true story of history, because if you were writing something and making it up, you wouldn't put these characters in the pedigree of the supposed birth of the Savior of the world. Um, it really does read like a bad reality TV show at times. Um, 
But here's the deal. You know, it, it reminds me of that, you know, that Christmas classic, Rudolph and the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Anyone like that one? I mean, there's Frosty, there's Rudolph. It's these 30-minute shows that you have to watch almost every year. And, you know, Rudolph gets to the island of the misfit toys. And these misfit toys are just out of place, right? Uh, because, you know, it's like instead of Jack in the box, it's like Gary in the box, I think. I can't even recall. But the big idea here is that there's something going on on in what Matthew is trying to tell us about the birth of Christ, that God is at home with misfits, because the last woman mentioned of those five is actually Mary herself, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, when you think about Mary this evening, um, God could have chose to be born in any situation, right? He's, he's God after all. And yet God chooses to be born in the midst of a scandal, now, to be honest and to be fair, it was a perceived scandal. Uh, Mary had done no wrong, but that's not what everyone thought in, this, in her town or her friends and family. Everyone thought that it was a scandal that was going on. And so much so that Joseph, her betrothed husband, um, being a righteous and just man, just wanted to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to put her to public shame because under the law of Moses, he could actually... Um, put her to the court system, and actually the penalty was death. And so he was going to divorce her quietly um, because he was a righteous and just man. And so much so that God has to show up to Joseph with an angel and say, listen, what's going on with Mary? She didn't, she wasn't unfaithful. What's going on in Mary is of God. It's from the Holy Spirit. Something is happening in your guys' life that's going to change everything. And, and so when you think about the birth of Christ and the situation, it's no Hallmark movie. Right? It, it's no picture perfect, you know, family situation. It's grimy, it's messy, and it's dirty. And I think that Matthew is making this point again on purpose, that the mess is the message. And then you get to the manger, right? Of all the places that Jesus could have been born, why a manger? Why did God choose to move heaven and earth and history to be born in a trough? where animals would eat and they would drink. Because this word manger, it actually comes from this Latin word meaning to chew or to eat. This is where horses, where cattle would drink and eat. And sorry, even though it's a lovely wood manger, they've actually found many of these mangers in throughout Israel and around Bethlehem, and they were made of stone. And so when you think about this stone manger that Jesus was born in, um, it just wasn't ideal for the quote-unquote king of the world or the creator of the universe. And so it, it makes me start thinking that, some, that God is up to something, and Matthew is actually trying to write something very intentional with the details of the story of Jesus and his birth. Because think about it, if the king of heaven, the creator of the universe, is coming to earth to be born, why would he be born in a manger or a trough? Now, I'm sure it was cleaned out, and I'm sure that, you know, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, so it was sanitary a little bit, probably. But this is no place for a king or for God-made flesh. But, you know, I think it was the perfect place for a savior king, one who was, as it was told to Mary, to redeem people and save people from their sins, and so again, I think Matthew is trying to tell us something. And I hope that the message comes through loud and clear this evening, that God is at home in the mess. He could have written the story and made it throughout in real life in any other way, and yet 
what God does is he makes it very clear, and Matthew especially, that God was at home in the mess. And, and I think it's so much so that it's even implicit in Jesus' name. Mary was to give this newborn baby the name Jesus. And, and Jesus means the Lord saves. And if you think about the name Jesus and it means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation, then you have to think that the name itself, Jesus, it means that there's a mess, right? Because you can't save something or fix something if it's put together right. And so Jesus himself, the name presupposes or assumes a mess because Jesus came to save. He came to save us from our sins. And, and here's another name that we read in the story in Matthew is that Jesus' name was Emmanuel or God with us. And I want you to think about this. God with us. So God with humanity. And, and just, if we can be honest this evening, we are a mess, right? Have you looked in the mirror lately? I mean, humanity, it's a mess. So God with humanity equals God with a mess. And so God at home with the mess. God is going to be with messy people because let's be honest, there is no other option, right? We are all messy people. And I think Matthew is driving this home clearly because it's actually Matthew's story. Matthew um, was a tax collector and, and I know no one here really likes the IRS. Anyone? Like, you wrote them a Christmas card this year? Nobody? Um, well, you know, the, the IRS tax collectors were even worse back then because they were traitors to their own people. And, you know, this baby Jesus that we're celebrating this evening one day grew up. Sorry, you know, Ricky, Bobby, right? The baby Jesus grew up. And we could actually read Matthew's story in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. And I wanted to share this with you because Matthew is writing about um, the baby Jesus. And I think he's, again, making this point that God is at home in the mess. And if you've ever seen the, the, the series, The Chosen, anyone? The Chosen? Like, I think they do a good job depicting Matthew. He's kind of awkward, and they hate him. Like, Peter and the other disciples, they don't want him to be around because he was a traitor, and Jesus yet calls him to be a follower of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 9, what we read about Matthew's origin story or his calling it starts in verse 9. He says, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And for many of us, when we think about church or we think about God, we think often that we have to clean ourselves up to go to church or to have a relationship with God. And yet that is not the story of Christmas at all. God enters into the mess. And I think we see this clearly in Matthew. He desires mercy, not sacrifice, not religion, not rituals. Because if we're honest, sometimes religious ritual often masks the mess. We go through the motions and we never confront the, the reality of our mess because we're ashamed of our mess. And so we cling to, to pretense and, and performance. And yet, I think the message of Christmas is this. Jesus invites all of us tonight to drop the act 
to let down our defenses and receive his love. And I think this is the message. All of it, Mary, the manger, the misfits, Matthew, all of it says that God is not afraid of the mess. Christmas actually screams this. He comes for the sick and for the sinners, not the righteous, because if we're honest this evening, there's no such thing. We're all sinners and sufferers. And, and those that pretend that there is no mess, that's what we would simply call religious. How can God be comfortable? I thought he was holy with the mess. Because here's the thing. He's the only one who can actually transform the mess. Here's the big idea this evening. The Messiah is greater than the mess. God is not running away from the mess of humanity, but entering into it on Christmas. And I know oftentimes we think that our imperfection, our mess, disqualifies us from God. However, here's the thing. The big idea this morning, it's actually the very thing that qualifies us. Philip Yancey said it this way, imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Light only gets in through the cracks. Jesus, hear this please. Some of you need to really hear this right now. Jesus is not in love with a future version of yourself this evening. He loves you right now. Not some cleaned up, spick and span future version of yourself. He loves you. Why? Grace and glory. We don't deserve it. But that's why it's good. That's why it's great news of, or great joy, good news of great joy for all people. He's that good. He's that wonderful. It's who He is. He is love. Remember, He desires mercy, not sacrifice. And, and as Jesus grows up from being a baby, He's not intimidated by sin. Lepers touched Him, sinners ate with Him, immoral women wept in front of Him, and ultimately He became sin on the cross. Becoming a mess himself. And the mess, the sin, your sin, my sin, couldn't stop his love. He died and he rose from the grave. Sin couldn't hold him down. The mess couldn't hold him down. And neither will your sin and neither will your mess. That's what the resurrection or Easter screams. If Christmas is about Jesus being born into the mess... The death and resurrection of Christ that we celebrate on Easter is all about how our mess does not stop the love of God. So lastly, how do we respond? I think we respond like Matthew. We respond by inviting him in our home. Even though religion might mock you, they mock Matthew. I think we invite him into our home. We invite Jesus in our lives. We invite Jesus in our hearts. We don't pretend we drop the act and we let go of pretending and performing. We embrace that Jesus is at home in our mess. We don't have to clean up before he comes over for dinner. I mean, how many of you right now, you had to work all day to clean up for Christmas Eve or you're cleaning for Christmas morning? You're like cleaning, you're yelling at your kids, clean up, vacuum, do this, right? God's not saying that. I think he's saying that if we would root our very lives in his grace and we would trust in his loving presence to transform us, he would make us more and more, slowly sometimes, but more and more like him, little by little. So how do we have joy to the world this evening? I think we have to remember the lyrics of the song, let every heart prepare him room. And here's the big idea. The room doesn't have to be spick and span. It just needs to be available. There's one last quote before we conclude. It's from Timothy Keller, and he says this, Few have the ability to honestly confront their own failings, flaws, self-centeredness, in short, their sin, unless they are assured that grace is ready to meet them. 
That's the good news of Christmas. Christmas is the dawn of redeeming grace. And Jesus Messiah is ready to meet all of us in our mess. Wherever you are at, he loves you and he wants to rescue you from your sin and be with you as Emmanuel in your suffering, in your mess. That's why Jesus was born. Let's pray.